our first inspiration is almost always taken from the architecture. Uh, For us, it's really important that we're finishing the story. We're not telling a new story. So we want to make sure we're honoring the structure that we've been delivered and adding to it, never taking away from it. And I think that that's really important to how we approach every one of our projects. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine, a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics in construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I have no voice, so I apologize for the listeners, but I'm here with Claire Ownby of Ownby Design in Scottsdale. And A, I'm a huge fan of yours. The more I get to know you and the more I hear about you, and we don't know each other that well, but the more I hear about you, you're consistent upon consistent upon consistent. So thanks for uh, hanging with us for a few minutes here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, I'm excited. And uh, I'll start off by the bottle of tequila that I gave you, (laughs) which had a 60 or 65 podcast. I've never done anything like that. But when we did an Instagram video at your house, you must have had 50 bottles of tequila. So you're a collector. A collector and a drinker. (laughs) Well, so so we've got to regenerate those bottles and replace them and fill them up. Uh, And the story behind this is I've got a really good friend of mine who – lives here and he was down at the national championship when Auburn played Oregon and um, he went to one of the parties and he met the owners of three amigos and he went to them and said, Hey, this tequila is fantastic. Where can I get it? Can I get it? Total wine? He goes, no. Can I get it at Costco? And he goes, no. He goes, we're just a boutique. Our, our farm is in Mexico, but we're farmers here in Arizona. And uh, Dave goes, if I can get you into Costco or Total Wine, would that be helpful for you? And my buddy's a retired executive, uh, but he's a super smart guy. And he and the the gentleman uh, Gonzalez, uh, I forgot his first name. Anyway, he goes, "You can do that." He goes, "I don't know if I can do it, but if I can, is that helpful?" He goes, "Yeah." So he makes some phone calls. We live in Bend, so Kirkland, where Costco is, isn't that far. And he knows the route in order to figure out how to get to the right person. So it takes him six months, gets to the right person, gets a trial in there, then phones the people at Total Wine, gets them into Total Wine. And it's like, so wow, that's where the Three Amigos deal. And at some point, you'll meet David and his wife. They're incredible people. Very cool. Yeah. Well, so. it's a new bottle on our bar. So that's I love fantastic. It. So you're going to have to send me tasting notes. Yes. Yes. Do you drink anything but tequila? Like, are you a wine lover? No. Just that's it. Yeah. The only wine I'll drink is outside of the United States. Okay. <laughs> if I go to Italy. So you have to travel to Italy? Of course. Um, have you ever been to the Milan Interior Design Show? Yeah. Just got back maybe two months ago. 
Oh, how okay. How was it? Because we're going to go next year. It was really busy this year. It was the first year they had ba- opened back up, yeah. you know, for I think a two or three year pause. Yeah. Um, great showing. Fantastic show. Definitely worth your time. How does it compare to KBiz? Oh, it's doesn't it doesn't compare right i mean it's um just such a huge showing not just at the fiera at the the showground but inside the city every showroom you know the the amount of events and it's incredible okay so i'll ask a dumb question just as an american is it difficult if you don't speak italian to get around oh not at all okay no almost everyone speaks english okay so, so we mentioned off air about this uh, this design studio called WRJ in um, Jackson, and they're just incredible. And they were they were talking to us about the Milan show, and they go, "You really should go and see what's happening because Italian designs are light years ahead of where we are in the U.S." It's true. I mean, there is a level of sophistication and um, just thought out design that I think is super inspirational for me as a designer. Um, And even my partner came with me and he's not in design, he's in medicine, but he was fascinated just with the level of, um, you know, execution of details and the creativeness of materials. So I think it's definitely, if you can get there, it's worth it. So have you watched the house of Gucci? I have not. Oh my Claire. Have you heard of it? The movie? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, I'm getting shivers. Okay. So you talk about design and I'm thinking about a podcast I did in Vancouver, Canada with a guy and he was a leished dealer. He was from the Ukraine, immigrated to Canada, got this line and he's a car lover. And I go, what's the difference between Italian design and German design? And he said, well, I'm going to give it to you an analogy of cars. He goes, if you want to get in a Porsche or a BMW or an Audi and you can drive it fast and it's reliable, it'll never break down and you will get from A to B and B and not even think about it. You'll leave it in the garage for six months. You'll come back, you'll push, push the button. It'll start. It'll be like you never left it. He said, but the designs are a little on the boring side. Now, Italian cars, you don't know if you're going to get from A to B. He goes, you don't know if it's going to start after six months, but you are going to be the sexiest person on the side of the road when the car breaks down. And I go, okay, fair enough. And then I think of House of Gucci, which Lady Gaga, like just an incredible job. I can't oversell how good that movie is. For you and your, your partner to sit down and watch it, it's phenomenal. But the designs, her dresses, Gucci, the whole lifestyle. Yeah. And I just think of, because we're excited to go to Italy next year and go to this show. Sure. And I look at the designs of Italians and they're, they're fantastic. Okay. I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a couple of plugs for you. Yeah, it's great. Um, where are you from? I'm originally from St. Louis. Okay. and But I've been here in Arizona since 1979, which is oh, going to start to age me. Yeah. Long time. How'd you get out? Like, why'd you come here? My dad somewhat retired out here, kind of had a a second chapter in his career and moved his whole family out. So you were still in school, obviously. I was was like one. (laughs) Yeah, I was in school. I, um, 
my son and I do a hockey road trip every year, and he works for Enterprise, which is head office in St. Louis. And it was fascinating. First of all, to go to a hockey game there, they love their blues. Oh, my God. They love their blues. Yes. Cardinal Stadium right downtown. It's the coolest baseball park because it's so tidy. I grew up going. Yep. Okay. So then we go to the Budweiser plant. Fascinating. Greg, our podcasters here. Every 15 seconds, 24 hours a day, a semi gets off the freeway to go to the Budweiser plant. Every 15. That's a lot. It's a lot of beer. <laughs> and then the arch, uh, architecturally spectacular. Yep. So you've done your whole career here. I have. Where did you start? How did you know that I want to be an interior designer? Well, I kind of started um, in high school taking drafting classes. I was the only girl. I went to Chandler High School. Okay. And um, knew right away that I was just fascinated with how things fit together and the organizational skills that I could use my OCD to a whole nother level of, of art. Um, but even before that, I was like moving furniture around my mom's house constantly. You know, she'd come home and I would take sheets and wrap them around her accent pillows because I didn't like the pattern or, um, you know, just constantly moving really? things around. Yeah. I rearranged my personal bedroom at least once a week. So that kind of, you know, just interest in um, spatial planning, yeah. I guess, was just inside of me. So are, do you like clean lines? And, and I, I don't think of, and yet it makes total sense, but I don't think of interior designers as somebody that would go to drafting class. Well, I actually started. But it in makes sense. Yeah, I started in architecture um, in my design um, schooling, but quickly found out that I was really passionate more about interiors. And ASU had an incredible program uh, yeah. for my environmental design at the time. And it was a pretty difficult program. Um, there was, you know, half the entrance got into the upper division classes. It was pretty stringent. So uh, super passionate about it, though. And I knew right away it just fit. So that must have been quite a balance because ASU is also the, the best party school in the country. So you've got to balance discipline of school and yet you still got to have fun. Well, I was fortunate uh, or well, depends on how you look at it. But I took uh, my first two years not in design school. I was doing business classes because I didn't know what I wanted to do 100%. And I got those rougher years out from underneath my um, wings when I was still in business school and then transitioned into design school. And by then my focus was much different and could succeed in the program. So when you came out of school, how long? I'm assuming you worked for somebody else. I actually didn't. You so didn't? no, I was really That's pretty um, bold. Bold is a word. Yep, we yeah. could use bold. <laughs> <laughs> Naive, you didn't know what I didn't know, right? So I had an incredible internship at a firm that did construction, um, architecture, and design all in one building. And it was in the boom. Um, and I the worked boom, for like, them. Uh, Oh seven, oh eight, like oh four, five, six. Before that, okay, okay. I'm not trying to age you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just... I know. So, but we were working mainly up in Desert Mountain when Desert Mountain was just getting started, okay. and it was just incredible projects straight out of school, and not even out of school. Right, I was still an intern, and was with them for almost two years. And when I graduated, 
I decided to go out and just kind of launch my own thing um, because I had a lot of my friends' parents asking me for help. So again, super fortunate, great timing, great economy, hence, you know. Great attitude. Own Be Design was launched. Yeah, you you got to – I love what you just said about I didn't know what I didn't know. And there's that rawness that even as we get older, if you stay curious, then life becomes fun the whole way through as opposed to that attitude of I can't wait to retire. Some of us have been retired our whole lives. Yeah. I can't imagine what that means or looks like. (laughs) Yeah. And why do it? Yeah. What are you going to do? Just you're going to go to Italy? Well, I do that anyway. Oh, you're going to go to, you know, you're going to Colombia next week, which will be fantastic. Yeah. Um, so now you look at Desert Mountain today, which is spectacular. What a development. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So kind of neat that um, we were able to help formulate kind of what that next chapter of Desert Mountain looked like. We designed the seventh clubhouse called seven yeah um along with uh cp from drew it works it was a really fun project to be a part of and that helped launch that new portion of their community called seven where there's uh, you know three new builders coming in and doing kind of developer built product um for the client that doesn't want to have to go through a full custom home um experience so kind of a unique different um extension for desert mountain yeah, we've got a few friends who live up there, and I got a really good friend who's been there for about twenty years or twenty-five years. So he was one of the early adapters, and even he and his wife, when Seven came on board, it rejuvenated. Not that they were bored or stale, but it rejuvenated them. And it's like we all want to see change. We all want to see growth. Yeah, it's it's a fun environment, right? They did that shorter course, the par three course, yeah. and it's got bocce courts and. It definitely has a much more livelier feel than any of the other clubhouses had. Um, So I think it did. It helped kind of rejuvenate and freshen the club. What did you learn? Because in the early times, so I'm going to, it was what, like 90, 92-ish when they started? 92, yeah. And when I was working, kind of 98 is when I was really getting getting going and just, just launching my own firm. Okay, what? Because they're a long way, what I would deem a long way out. And now there's, I don't know, 15,000 homes or something like that in there. So what did you learn? Because there must have been, Lyle Anderson had to have gone through a bunch of trouble in getting the people to shift their paradigm that this wasn't too far out. And now my buddies go, we love it here because we're self-contained. We're on campus. You know, we don't, we don't think of going out to our friend's place and then driving home. And we can just feel like we're protected because it's all in inside the gates. Yeah, I think he did a great job in capitalizing on people's passion for golf. So to have that many golf courses at their fingertips that they could go out and play and not get bored with one course or two courses. So if you're coming out from you know, Snowland <laughs> to beautiful Arizona, and you can play golf every single day, multiple rounds a day if you want. That's that's how he captivated people. It's interesting that they're all Jack Nicholas golf courses too. You know, sometimes you'll see developments, and they'll have a Fazio and a Nicholas and Johnny Miller, whoever. Um, his vision was incredible. Certainly. So, what did you? What do you take away from that? And and I'm a firm believer that we learn more with our failures than we do with our successes. 
So did you see anything and that still resonates today on what you learned 20 years ago when you were first out there? Well, the thing that I learned, not necessarily specific about Desert Mountain, but more about um, taking chances on myself. So I made a lot of expensive mistakes, but those mistakes have really formulated who I am as a designer today and where I chose to take my path. And I wouldn't take them back for anything because they really helped build my character about what I stand for, what, how I wanted to represent myself and my firm, and how I wanted to build my brand. And you've done an incredible, like whoever, whoever you have had steering your brand has done a magnificent job. I mean, right from your logo, right from everything, your Instagram, your photography, your photography is stunning. And I know when I look at it, I, I mean, I start to, you know, when you see something that's really stunning, all of a sudden it glance in the back of your neck, you go, that's beautiful. And your stuff is, it's magnificent. Well, that's a team, right? So it's, it's working with the right collaborators, not just on, on what the brand looks like, but with the right architects and the right builders having the right clients. So it's, it's a multitude of factors that result in that, including the incredible team that I have in my office. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Let me circle back to uh, designing the clubhouse for seven. And I look at the architecture in, in Desert Mountain, and it is, it's so well worked into the environment of the mountains and the rocks, so it's not obtrusive. What do you look for when you're designing, doing the interiors of whether it's a clubhouse or any of these beautiful homes? Well, our first inspiration is almost always taken from the architecture. Uh, For us, it's really important that we're finishing the story. We're not telling a new story. So we want to make sure we're honoring the structure that we've been delivered and adding to it, never taking away from it. And I think that that's really important to how we approach every one of our projects. But more specifically to Seven, we were given a pretty clear directive from the club on what they were looking for with regards to the aesthetic. So most of the other clubhouses have a much heavier formal feel. I would almost use the word stuffy. Stuffy was tossed around. And, you know, I think making sure that this felt more youthful, more fresh, more hip, they wanted it to feel really fun. Like it was almost like you were going into town to a club, they use the word speakeasy, gastropub, kind it. of. Yeah. So it was really easy to have fun with that one and play play off of all of that energy that they wanted to create. And I look at, only because I've been there several times, I look at the, the main clubhouse at Geronimo. And it is, it's that traditional old style clubhouse. And um, I don't know if you've been out to... to uh, Wickenburg Ranch, mm-hmm. but what they did with around the the uh, the lake around the par three course, it's kind of that hip, fun, casual. Let's get the grandkids out. Let's get the whole family involved. And I think that's what my buddies projected of seven. They go same vibe. That's exactly what they were going for. So yeah. So is it is it tough to? Um, you you mentioned they they were super clear. Do you prefer it when your client is super clear as to what they want, or do you like it where it's more fluid? I like it when they have a clear understanding of what a realistic expectation is. Some clients' realistic expectation is, I have no idea what I want, but I'm going to let you tell me. Okay. 
If a client Does comes that make you in, nervous? not at all. Okay. Not at all. Uh, we have so many tools in our belt today to help facilitate what that looks like. Um, what worries me is when a client comes in and tells me they know exactly what they want, but the more they talk, it's evident that they are everywhere. Those are typically the projects that we'll probably pass on. <laughs> or if their expectation of timeline or budget or both are unrealistic, then again, you know, don't really want to put ourselves in that position because we'll fail. Yeah, and and those can be painful situations. They're the most painful. For both, for you if, and, the, and client. the client. Yes. Yeah, I have a buddy of mine who's building right now, and I love him dearly, but I would not want to be his his architect or his builder or because they are very fixed on they know everything. And I go, I'm a I'm a big advocate of my business. You've got to trust. Here's my here's my portfolio. Your business, that's your portfolio. If you go to CP or whatever architect, here's their portfolio. Let them do their job. Tell them what you want, but let them do their job. It's really important because you know I would never go to an attorney and let them know that I need help, but then proceed to go and do my own research about the law. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the way it feels sometimes if a client wants to go out and let me know why they think, you know, this product is superior than another one when I just spent three weeks of my full team researching the latest and greatest on that product. So it's, you know, collaboration is key. I love collaboration, but micromanagement typically doesn't work really well in our environment because we're creatives. So there's a balance there. Okay. So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, Doctors are probably, and your your partner is in that space, they're probably the ones who get micromanaged the most because we all go on Google and go, okay, well, what's wrong with me? Dr. But Google. Dr. <laughs> Google. And it's like, you go in and it's like, okay, well, I think this is what's wrong with me. Yep. Okay. Let's just have a chat and I'll figure out and try and help you through it. Yep. That would be a tough thing. Certainly. Oh, um, what excites you? Oh, Wow. Besides the bottle of tequila you gave me? <laughs> well, that's that. There's a reason to be excited with that. Um, I think that. And hopefully Reposado is okay. That's my favorite. It yeah, is? Yeah, absolutely. I just like, I like the the deep tones to Reposado. So anyway, I'm it, glad you like it's it. It's a sipping tequila. Yeah, it's that's perfect. right. <laughs> um, what excites me? So I think, um, you know, I'm really uh, inspired through traveling and new experiences seeing new cultures. Um, I love traveling and, and, and seeing people's joys in their everyday lives, whether it's um, going to a new destination, hearing someone be so passionate about the place they live and the culture they have and what that encompasses. Um, and that is really, that's always exciting to me. So I think continuing to travel, continuing to go and experience new things or travel to the same destination multiple times, um, is something that I will always do. So when it comes to travel, I'm going to throw one at you, and I don't know if you've been there, but you're a very glamorous lady. <laughs> Buenos Aires is incredible. Never. Haven't been. It is. Put it on your list. Okay. Um, we've been all over the world. There's two cities my wife and I would go back to tomorrow. One is Sydney. The other is Buenos Aires. Because it's that the tango dancing, the food, the sophistication, the class. Uh, everything is very elegant. 
without being stuffy. It's mm-hmm. spectacular. And the people are incredible. Anyway, just um, now, as far as projects are concerned, you're working on a magnificent one with the Ritz, with CP. Where, when clients come in and bring you a project, I mean, that's a monster. Do you go, we just hit it out of the park? Or when somebody comes in with a 4,000 square foot uh, house, do you feel that same excitement or different excitement? Um, same excitement, but it's different, right? So certainly the Ritz-Carlton project is an incredible opportunity for my firm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've got a team of 22 people. So that's as exciting as that project is. It doesn't take away from the excitement of the 4,000 square foot renovation that's right down the street from the Ritz. So it stimulates our creativity in different ways. Renovations, new construction. Some homes were just doing furnishings. Others take us five years to complete. And I think we need all of those things to really feel complete in our design process. Because if we were only doing a project that took five years, it would start to feel a little more stagnant than if we weren't being challenged every day. Do you feel pressure when the economy changes? Because you you mentioned a variety of different different projects that you work on, different sizes, different design elements, and different interaction with obviously clients. The Ritz is a big monster, whereas if you're in a 5,000 square foot house, which or sorry, a uh, five-year project, that's a whole nother thing. But as the economy slows, what kind of stress do you feel because you're the captain of the ship? Well, I feel that stress every day, not if the economy okay. is changing or not. You know, that's... Um, well, you a, deal with the stress well then because you don't look stressed. It, no, I'm not stressed. Yeah, I have an incredible team. I've got <clears> a <throat> lot of really skilled... Um, designers and administrative in, inside of my organization that help me um, make sure that we all make really good collective decisions. But I think, um, you know, we're in a great um, strategic spot in that I, I don't see our firm's um, projections changing much just based on who we work for and the projects that we work on. So um, I've been through plenty of market turns yeah. and um, haven't always been as strategically placed as we are currently. So never say never. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've all had to adapt through those positions. And I think it, it helps us learn how to, you know, forecast what we do in the future. Yeah. And there's some, there's so much truth to that because as you build your reputation, you build stability. And you mentioned almost one of the first words out of your mouth was, you know who you are and the integrity that you bring to the situation because when things go wrong, that's really when you find out, I want to be at battle with this person. Not battling them, but you want to go to war with them as opposed to when things go wrong and somebody goes AWOL. I mean, that's a short-term solution to you're never going to do business with them again. It's really something that I've had to get very clear about in the last decade of my career, even more specifically the last five years. Um, You know, there's so many great opportunities. And to really be able to say no to an incredible opportunity, because I know it does not align with my brand or who I am or how I run my business. And it's really easy to say all that, 
And then the day it comes, it's still something that I can struggle with because I do have 22 other mouths to feed, right? And I want to make sure that everyone is busy enough and and we're profitable and everyone can flourish. So to say no to big opportunities because it doesn't align with that integrity is is difficult, but it's critical. We just went through a, uh, a well, and we continue to go through this process with our company as to what's your vision? What's your purpose? Because they're different. What's your goal? And you've got to know exactly who you are. I've got a client and uh, he's an architect. And early on, so 20 years ago, he, uh, he built a house and the survey was off by a couple of feet. And he pu- poured the foundation of this place and it was two feet over into the neighbor's yard. And he goes, oh boy. So he goes to the neighbor and goes, hey, can I buy an easement from you because we made a mistake? And the guy goes, nope, tear it out. It's your mistake. And he goes, okay, tore it out, cost him a couple hundred thousand dollars. And everybody now in town always wants to deal with this guy because they know when there's a problem, he doesn't run from it. Yep. We all make mistakes. Absolutely. How you deal with it. How you deal with it. Yeah. And you only have to see someone's colors one time yeah, to know how they're going to deal with it next time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, have you ever heard of John Huntsman? No. So John Huntsman Sr., my son went to the University of Utah. He grew up in Southern Idaho and he's since passed away. And his son was the, he was uh, the ambassador to China uh, with the government. And I think he was the um, governor of Utah at some point. And his granddaughter is Abby Huntsman, who is on Fox News. Got it. John Huntsman grew up in a 600-square-foot cardboard shack in southern Idaho. And he was an engineer, and he created the um, the McDonald's Big Mac styrofoam um, container. Then he created the styrofoam legs, you know, the round legs container for pantyhose and super sharp guy. And then he ended up in his later years with his own personal money. He spent $273 million and created the Huntsman Cancer Clinic at the University of Utah. So every year, so as he's, as he's building his empire and he died and he was a self-made billionaire who grew up with nothing. And he would do deals, Claire, with people on a handshake. And he did a deal for 40% of one of his companies, and he sold it to Great Lakes Oil, which was a subsidiary of Shell. Six months goes by, and, the, and, he, and he sold it for $54 million. Six months goes by, the president of Great Lakes Oil says, John, my, it's 100% our fault. My lawyers have drugged, drugged their feet. And we've evaluated that purchase at 250 million and we 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 agreed on 54. And the guy goes, that's not fair for you. That's not equitable. And John says, I shook your hand at 54 million. It worked in your favor. I expect not a penny more. He goes, a deal is a deal. Wow. And it's just mm-hmm. like those are the people that you go, okay, good enough. Because when money's your when money's your slave, you're you're dead. That should be a byproduct of doing a good job. Certainly, it cannot be your motivator. 
Yeah. Sorry to go down that road. It's just these are stories that I pick up and talk. And, be, and I just go, that is, that's who you want to do business with. Yep. I've never done anything just trying to make a buck or trying to pay the bills. I figure that will happen. Just do what you're doing and follow through on what you're doing. And you've done an incredible job. So tell me about moving upstairs. So now you're, you've got uh, a furniture line or something downstairs and you've moved your firm upstairs. So we expanded our mm-hmm. office space. Yeah, we, we were lucky the the space just right above us came available and allowed us to double our design studio space, which was desperately needed. My designers were very tight on space in, in, in our current studio. So um, didn't want to give up the space on the street level on of Stetson, Stetson because it's just such it's beautiful. It's a great location. Yeah. And so thought about um, capitalizing uh, on keeping the space, but also extending another um, really great option for our clients to their experience in working with us, which is we have their design meetings upstairs. And as we transition them into furniture, we can go downstairs, have them do sit tests in pieces of furniture that we've curated that we think most people are wanting. Um, show them our favorite linens, show them our favorite, you know, examples of certain things. So it'll be a curated um, showroom of all of our favorite things. Is it Italian furniture? There will be some Italian furniture. Um, we've got a couple of lines that will be exclusive, not just to Scottsdale, but most of the United States. Um, so yeah, we'll have some really neat things. I'll be excited to hear about that because as I travel, I'm always bragging about certain people. It's like I was talking to Brad Levitt yesterday about this podcast and and introducing him to my builder up in Bend. And Brad goes, Ted, I love, he goes, I listen to your podcast. And he goes, and I love how you always talk so highly of me. And I greatly appreciate it. Well, when you're a winner, it's easy to kind of share that. And, and we're all about collaboration and trying to introduce people all over the country to other people, which is why we send you copies of every magazine we do. Because there are people you never know. It's a small world out there. Sure. No, you're, you're a great collaborator for certain. Well, we try. We could always do better. So how difficult was it for you to make the decision to add this line? Because I got to believe there's a thought process. There is with us every time we do something, we want to make sure it's consistent with the brand and we don't get off, you know, off target. Well, it really wasn't a very difficult decision, honestly. Um, You know, we've needed uh, a place. We've been warehousing um, our own inventory for the last two years because of the pandemic and, and supply issues. So we just started inventorying items because we would have a client come to us that would buy a temporary house while their house was being built and they had nothing to live with. So, you know, we're hustling to get beds and furniture and sheets and whatever it is. So to have the inventory, not just here, but also a way to showcase it will be really nice. It's almost like having our own store to shop from for ourselves. And if other people happen to enjoy shopping there, that's just a bonus. So for me, it wasn't about trying to go and get new business. It was a supplementation to our current business. If it does well and others want to shop there, yeah. wonderful. Well, and the location's pretty easy because it's got great eye candy because the, the windows, no, I think it's a great idea. It's a great location. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of the people that are moving into these spectacular homes. And to get occupancy, they've got this lousy white fridge 
because everything was on back order. Yep. But they had to, you know, they had to move in at some point. The world of temporary fridges and countertop microwaves is yeah. rampant. Oh, it's so funny. You see these gorgeous homes and it's like, well, we wanted to move in. And so the city made us yep. put a fridge in. Yep. What do you see in trends for the next five years? We, we've, so when you started and when Desert Mountain started, there was a lot of Tuscan. And now it's definitely gone away from that to more contemporary. How often do people need to kind of change things up to make them feel fresh and alive and rejuvenated? I would say most of our clients do a freshening every decade. Okay. Um, does different extremities of what that looks like. Um, but for us, I think, you know, our brand has been really fortunate in that even in the world of Tuscan, we didn't do Tuscan. Oh, you didn't? No. So it really it was just all the didn't. Rage. How yeah. did you live? Um, well, we, you know, <laughs> young and hungry. And <laughs> like I said, we were making a lot of mistakes. But uh, at that time, it was literally just myself and maybe two others. So, but having um, a clear direction of, of who I was as a designer and what my philosophy was. And even in school, I was very much a less is more. And that does not align with Tuscan at all. Tuscan is more, is more, is more. And, and it's very heavy, very heavy, very layered, very ornate. And I have always tried to strive to see what wasn't necessary in a design. What could we actually take away that could make the design better versus what could we add into it? And I think that's still prevalent in all of our designs today. Um, but I think where we have evolved and where I think design is continuing to evolve is um, still about simplification. People's lives are so busy. But they really want all the conveniences, all of the comforts that come along with the stuff, but they don't want the chaos that that creates. So really finding a way to create livable interiors that give them all of those wonderful things, um, but in such a well-planned, um, organized way that it doesn't feel chaotic. It doesn't feel overly designed. It still feels very simplistic. Where did the idea, I'm seeing more and more of this, and I have no idea where the thought process was, but the galley kitchen behind the the kitchen. So they've got two kitchens in these homes. So dirty kitchen, prep yes, kitchen, yes. butler's kitchen, second kitchen, back kitchen, whatever you want to call it. Right. Right. I think it's really been driven in the fact that most design, especially here in our territory, is very much about one large grand open space. So we don't have a separate formal space that then transitions into an informal space that then transitions into a family room. So grand, large spaces, and the kitchen is open. So therefore, when you are entertaining, you don't want to see the mess. You don't want to see the function and all the stuff that's going on to it. You necessarily don't even want to see the appliances. So having an extended, what used to just be a butler's kitchen now into that back kitchen, dirty kitchen, yeah. prep kitchen, um, has really evolved into a lifestyle where you'll have your zones of preparing breakfast, smoothies, toast, whatever it is in this back kitchen that leaves your front kitchen pristine so you can go about your day and feel very organized. So when people are entertaining in those homes, I just think we entertain constantly. And my wife's an incredible cook. And 
the kitchen is the focal point of where all the parties are. And, and now, and it's interesting when I go back east because I grew up back east, it's still a very formal environment where they have the formal dining room, the formal living room, and the, and the kitchen is in a separate room, whereas out west, it's all one, which is way more conducive to having fun. Oh, absolutely. Way more social. Way more social. I look at those homes and I scratch my head and I go, that's, that's not how we live. Yeah, we're so, way more fun. <laughs> there's no question. <laughs> I was talking to a guy in Florida yesterday. He goes, okay, Ted, when are you going to move to Florida? He goes, you love Florida. You love our governor. You love business in Florida. And I go, yes, yes, and yes. And no, I love Scottsdale. Yep. I don't love the bugs. I don't love the screened-in porches. And I didn't tell him, but I don't like the formal aspects of mm-hmm. all of these different rooms. So, so do you still, in these homes... And I, I know I, I think of the home that we were in of yours, which apparently you've sold, but I think it had a regular kitchen. It did have uh, an open kitchen. We actually opened it up even more when we renovated that space and we okay. opened the pantry up and turned it into that tequila bar that you saw. <laughs> so that's where we had the appliance garage and we concealed the coffee maker and it had the wine. It was It was kind of our destination, our second kitchen, but okay. for us, it was more about beverages and entertainment than it was about food prep. I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. My wife this morning, she says, you sound horrible. We just drove 17 hours from Ben to transition back down here. And that was on Wednesday. And so whatever, you kind of deal with it and roll with it. Um, in, in having 22 people that work for you, how is your role? Cha- I mean, you're the CEO, you're the boss, you're the, the name. Has it taken you away from being an interior designer to running a business or do you have a business manager who takes care of the people part and you can still interface with your clients? I've always maintained my interface with my clients because I think it's pretty critical. Um, It's also more fun. It's more fun, but I'm also the person that's looking at them in the beginning of the process before they've signed that contract with us and and giving them the deliverables and the promises of what we're going to do. So I take that very seriously, which which requires me to stay engaged through the design process. And you know, I try to do a really good job of being just like I expect them to be realistic about their expectations. Yeah. I also have an obligation to give them realistic expectations of what that process looks like with myself and my team and where they will see me throughout their process and where they won't, where my time is critical and where it isn't. So I think, you know, having really great designers and other design um, talent around me is critical, but also making sure that the infrastructure to run the business without me is, is just as important. And your clients, how much of them want clear time as opposed to having one of the other designers work with them? Well, if a client um, only wants clear time, then we don't sign the contract because okay. that's not how we operate. Okay. If um, That's smart because I, I just think of, all the people that you're dealing with, and I think of myself, as a type A personality, we want the other person who makes the decisions. And if there's an issue, I want to go straight to the boss I want because I want to get it solved. I don't want to kind of banter around. So I like the way that you, you approach it. We're a team, so anybody can deal with it. Absolutely. And I think also making sure to um, educate the client on 
what the role of the project designer is and why it's so critical that that communication go through them to have more streamlined, you know, timing about their process is is critical because if it's only coming through me, it, that won't happen. Yeah, we, we talked about uh, distinctive cabinets earlier and, and I'm just thinking about it's got to be a challenge as you build these organizations to take yourself away from being the front person, the face of it, because when your clients are upper level, they do want to just pick up the phone and get it solved because we don't have time to waste with, with things. And yet to have that team takes all the stress away from, from, I guess it's all how you set it up with the client. Well, it's how you set it up. And I can even think just from myself, if I want to talk to um, a builder about their project, I don't always call the person at the top. Oftentimes, I'm calling the person that's at the job site because that's a much quicker you know, remedy um, yeah. than, than necessarily going straight to the owner of the business or, or someone else. So I think that my clients probably experience somewhat of the same if they want uh, to have a quick response on something that's needed. Now, if it's a bigger desi design question, certainly, you know, those I, I step in and, or I'm still available for, and I'm not by any means, you know, void of the project. But I think making sure that they know they have someone very qualified that has the answers that can give them the information is important. When you travel, what do you, because we're all creatures of habit and we're always looking at the paradigm of the world we live in, right? So when you go to Milan, you're always looking at design. When you go to Colombia, you're going to be looking at design because that's how we, we think, right? I'm always looking at food. Oh, you are? <laughs> I absolutely are travel. Oh my gosh. We plan our lunch at breakfast. You know, it's, I, I love experiencing um, different cultures with food. I'm an adventurous eater and I like trying new things. Um, at least once, you know, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm much more driven by cultural experiences than I am actual design. Okay. Design is just a byproduct of what I'm experiencing while I'm there. Have you been to Asia? Many times. Okay. Cause that is the food, the one food that is the most out of the box. You go to Europe and that's kind of, we're used to that in South America for the most part, we're used to that Asia. And we love Asian food, but it is, you can get some stuff and you go, really? We're going to eat that? Yeah, I was pretty fortunate to <clears> spend <throat> um, a few years in Southeast Asia pretty extensively and had um, a local um, that was pretty close to our family at the time really be that kind of captain of having me experience new things, but on a pretty controlled level. And it, it was amazing. I mean, I, I absolutely love the not just the food but the culture and the people and it's an incredible place we're in southeast asia mostly thailand um yeah. but yeah indonesia and malaysia so there's a new resort called marina k sands and if you haven't been there it's incredible and it's three towers and at the top and there are about 50 stories at the top is a swimming pool that spans connects all three towers maria uh, marina bay in marina singapore bay. Yes. Yes. Been there multiple times. Oh, you it's have? Fantastic. Yeah, we've got one, friends. One of the the most incredible sculptures, uh, you know, sculptures of a building. It's just really cool to see. That whole that whole city is amazing. Yeah, so that's on our list because we've got friends that have been there a few times 
And then they showed me pictures and it's like, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. You have to go do the gardens at night, the light okay. up. It's, it's just incredible. Um, what else are you, are you working on any other, as we wrap up, are you working on any other big projects that you go, this is, this is really pushing me. This is really driving me. Gosh, I, I think that about almost all of our projects in certain aspects, you know, we've got projects all across the U.S. We're pretty particular if we take a project outside of Arizona, but we do. And so, you know, those I love because it challenges me in ways that we get comfortable with our region, our yeah. environment, our uh, even tradespeople, right? So going out to a new location um, stimulates a whole new set of design challenges. Yeah. Um, and then we've got some where we're, we're doing, um, uh, you know, an extension for Azure through Shea Homes. They've got a new community in, uh, up north called Story Rock that we're doing a new community with them. So I love those projects as well because it's a completely different set than doing full-blown custom homes where we're taking a client through a much more um, refined selection process okay. where they've got three choices versus 300. But it's still really challenging in its in its creativeness. So um, I, I love every aspect of what we do. Last question for you, because I'm all about you know, kind of, and I told you off air. Part of part of my motivation on doing the podcast is to get the younger people in the trade or interested in the trade to whether they're interior designers, bricklayers, um, iron workers. Because the old world artisans are starting to retire or die off. And I'm not seeing enough of the new, like that's one of the things that I find in talking to people. We don't see enough of the younger generation want to get in and be electricians or plumbers. What do you say to your young designers about taking a chance, taking a risk, putting themselves out there, being willing to fail, learning from your mistakes, just like you did? Well, I just had this conversation last week with one of our, our new kind of interns. She's just graduated high school. And um, to see her passion for design absolutely invigorates me because I, it puts me right back to where I was when I first launched my company. And I literally thought I was living a dream. I mean, it was the greatest thing I could have ever thought that I get to do design and someone is going to pay me. And I still feel that way today. So I think that's the- Isn't the, that a great space it, to be the, in? It's the most incredible feeling when you love to go to work every day and you absolutely love what you do. And I don't take that for granted. Um, but to be able to make sure that the rest of my team or new design um, you know, creatives are coming into the space, just really tapping into that passion because t if you can carry that passion, you will want to do what you do forever and the money will come. You, you know, the benefits will come. The financial gains will come. But to be able to grow personally and do something that you love every day, it's a pretty special space to be in. Yeah. And, and these young kids, it's like fail, fail a lot. It's, it's painful when it happens. But when you come out of it, you look back and go, how in the world did I make that work? Because you figured it out. Or just learn, you know? So uh, failure, I'm going to not use that word. I'm going to say, you know, just 
experience and learn. And whether it's something positive or it's a painful experience, it's still a learning. So, you know, just just that curiosity of being able to continue to grow. I'm still growing every day. I love going on job sites and having someone tell me a new way of routing a plumbing fixture that I could have never thought of, you know? So I think that kind of curiosity will allow, quote, failures to become really good learning experiences. Well, I I also like what you said about um, these younger people, because I think of your passion, even though you've been in the business for 25 years, as as fresh as it was when you started, your experiences obviously changed things, but the passion is the same. If not more. Okay, if not more. And And then you bring these younger people in. And you look at their enthusiasm, and I think it, 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 it energizes the entire team. And so you always have to be willing to grow and change and evolve, because I think that that's what makes us all excited about the next day, whether we're 80 or whether we're 50 or 30. You know, it's kind of like having that grandfather that some people look at the, the grandfather and go, that person is so cool. And um, others just go, oh, that's just a crusty old, you know, crusty old man. What does he know? <laughs> yeah, what does he know? I'm, uh, I mentioned that I'm doing a podcast next week with CP, who I've not met yet, but I hear so many incredible stories about him, and I'm super excited about it. My grandfather, are, have you ever heard of Yardley's Cosmetics? Mm-mm, no. So Yardley's was something that came to, um, he brought it over from, Europe. And it was, if you Google it, you'll go, it was a big deal, but he brought it in like the 1915 or 1920. And, um, he could have either, uh, opened it up in New York or Toronto. And because he's Canadian, he opened it in Toronto, but it went, um, North American wide and he, he brought it to the States, but because of who he was, he would at Christmas time, always have people to our house. And we would go to what we called the big house, which is where he lived. And he had a grand piano there. And we would have people from all over Europe come to our Christmas dinner and he would play the piano and he was Uncle Tom. I mean, that's what his name was, Tom. And, and so they go, okay, well, that's Uncle Tom. And it was, it was so incredible to have these people from around the world because back in the, you know, I was born in 62. Back in the 60s and 70s, people didn't just come over for two days and then fly home. Some of them would take a boat or some of them would make it a big business trip. And so we'd have all these international people and he would welcome everybody into our home. Well, I read a story about CP and I guess he's an incredible pianist and he's a lover of food. I go, I really want to meet this dude because it kind of brings me back to my childhood. Playing the piano, I think, is a lost art. Yes. Anyway, I just, you know, digress, but you'll enjoy, you'll enjoy your time with him. Oh, I can't wait. And I've enjoyed Claire. I want to get to know you more. You are an awesome lady. And at some point, maybe have some tequila. Look Um, forward to, I'll save the bottle. We'll, we will open it together. That'll be, that'll be great. And I know uh, my wife and I are big fans of what you're doing. I can't wait to see your studio with the furniture because I can visualize it. I think it's going to be a home run. Thank you. So have fun in Columbia. Enjoy yourself there. And thanks for being on Friends of Bill Magazine. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine podcasts.